Good morning. I've been looking forward to being up here because of the sweet expressions on your faces. <laughs> Thank you that we sang about that. It should come to pass. We'll be reading a, a short piece of First Corinthians. Would you stand with me? Divisions in the church. Now that I've said sweet expressions. <laughs> Verses 1 through 18. Excuse me. 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none one can say, no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Did I, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The word of the Lord. Thank you. I am. It just wasn't confirmed yet. Uh, I've said before that I, I often, not always, but I'm often a lectionary preacher. I've explained what that is. Hopefully you have an idea of what the lectionary is. But it's basically a, a big scope and sequence laid out long time ago um, as, a, as a guide to help churches get through all of Scripture in three years. So that basically every three years you're working through all the different major sections of Scripture. Um, each year a different one of the main synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Um, if you've ever gone to a service where there are four readings of Scripture in a service, that's often a sign that the church is following that. Um, so the psalm that I read is, is the, the chosen psalm. Um, so I say that because one of the things I, I've preached through the lectionary probably three, almost four times in its entirety um, in, my, in my life. And I'm always amazed at how something that some would look at and think, well, that's not spirit-led because somebody mapped it out for you or something like that. How, how intimately the spirit will use the passages laid out in my experience and how often um, what's needed, I could, I could go on a, on, a, 
on a kind of a riff about this, so I won't do it too much. But often what's needed to be heard and preached is what's already laid out compared to maybe what I think. Uh, I guess I will go off on a tangent for a little. I know when I was little and when I first, uh, when I was young, I should say, and when I was first learning how to be a, a Christian and how to teach at all, I, I remember teaching youth group as a high school kid and I didn't barely know anything. And I know I thought I had this pressure that I had to, I had to bring it every week. You know, I had to, how, what was the what was the best, most gripping thing that I could say that was going to make a difference, right? Um, or, or then going into college thinking, what's the best video I can use to get everybody's attention and make this point? And I came to realize that um, it's that so much of that was about me. Uh, so much of that kind of preaching is about is about me and less about what God would have you learn. And so for me, part of realizing it's not about me bringing it, it's about me trying to illuminate scripture for you, uh, that following something like the lectionary is, is a really freeing thing. And, and often the passages that come up are exactly what needs to be said, even in times when there's like a tragedy or you know something that happens and I think, man, I need to speak to that. Oh, Scripture's already speaking to that. It's already laid out. So I say that because I'm gonna, what I'm going to share today, uh, for some, it may seem like, oh, that's a little too close to home, or, or that's, um, you know, pastor's got some kind of an axe to grind, or confession, or something. No, this is just what's in Scripture, and I think it's just really appropriate for my last sermon to share with you during this interim period. So, uh, do you, maybe, who has children in here? Some of us, and the children are here. Some of us have children. Some of the children are kind of gone, so you're, you didn't raise your hand because you're thinking, I'm free of them. Well, you, you had children. You know what it's like, right? And they're wonderful, and they're a blessing as well. But I'm thinking today of this great experience that we go through often, where we say something like, what should we eat tonight? Or where should we go to dinner? Or, hey, what movie should we put on? And if you have one, I was an only child, so this was all very easy for my family. But if you have two, if you have three or four, I don't know. After that, I don't know what you do. Just pray all the time. Um, but if you have two or three, then in my experience, unless you have like Mennonite children that you've taught to never speak ever. That's a joke, but I know Mennonite families. That's kind of how they are. Um, it's like two of them. Well, I want this movie. No, nope, I don't want to watch that. The third one says, I want to watch this. Or we could have even something as kid-friendly as we could have hot dogs or pizza for dinner. One wants hot dogs, the other wants pizza, and then the third one, who knows what, they want pancakes or something. Right? Nobody ever agrees on anything. It's always this way. I always laugh when one of us will ask, I tend to be the one who says, uh, I'm just going to choose a movie and this is what we're going to watch because I don't want to deal with 30 minutes of arguing and bickering and then it's too late to start the movie or a restaurant or something. We're just going to make the choice. And then occasionally, oh no, I want to give the kids their choice. And it's not because the kids are being naughty or ornery or anything. It's because the kids are people. And we do the same thing. We are uniquely created. We have specific things about us that draw us more to this restaurant or that restaurant on this particular day uh, or this movie or that movie or book or whatever or activity. We're all that way. Paul's getting at that here. I think it's, a, I think it's a, an experience, a phenomenon that we should be able to relate to quite well. 
In my, in my experience working with congregations or church boards or with some work on, uh, on non-profit boards, uh, it's very, very similar. Um, and, and again, this is not, it's not a bad thing that people have different opinions, uh, different needs. You know, they, 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 this is what the organization needs the most or this is what the family needs the most or this is what my tummy needs the most or whatever. It's just how we are. Okay, we're created unique. We have unique qualities. But I believe that, and this, now this is a big picture statement, I believe that these unique aspects of who we are are meant to complement others in a way that ideally we work together, sort of like a symphony versus a great solo. It's wonderful to hear your child or somebody play a solo. At some point, we've got to figure out some sort of, you know, rock band concert thing for Irene because she's maybe a spinning platform so that she can go back and forth here, you know, but she, when she plays a solo. But if you've ever gone to, say, a symphony or an orchestra, there's all these parts being played that if you hear them on their own, you know, the, 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 the bear, the, the tuba or something, you think, oh, that's nice, that's a tuba. But, in conjunction with everyone else, you barely hear it, but it's so important and it plays this important role. I think that that's ideally how humans are made, uh, and therefore that's how families are made, that's how churches work, that's how boards work, etc., etc., that's how good businesses work. We're meant to complement one another. So one of the challenges of leadership, for example, is to find what are the things that you're good at? What are the things you're good at? What are the things I'm good at? And how can we sort of play to our strengths so that we can be who we are um, and we're allowed to, to, you know, this person's going to really speak up for this and this person's going to really speak up for this. And that's okay because as we do this together, we become something bigger and better, right, together. It allows for this, the, the uniqueness of, our, of who we are, but in a way that there's a cohesive, bigger whole that we're working towards. A symphony, not a solo. That's why, personally, I've never, of course, I've never been a district superintendent, but I've never thought that it's the best thing to insist that church boards be unanimous on their decisions. Or for the general superintendents, anytime they speak, they speak unanimously, but I know from internal workings, that's not always the best thing. Sometimes, we're going to have different opinions on things. Same is true with churches. The same is true with families. The idea that we all have to be unanimous, I don't know that that's the most helpful, and I don't think that that's what Paul is talking about here. I think that instead, what Paul is getting at is, you have strengths, you have strengths, you have strengths and interests, so do I. Paul's very outspoken about his personality, his interests, and his strengths. But the challenge, or the gift, of the church is to learn how can we put these things together so that you don't have to quit thinking the way that you think. You don't have to, you know, Renee doesn't have to stop thinking about missions. Okay, she can be very vocal and loud about that, even if it drives somebody else nuts. But, what we, not, not saying you do, right? Or, or somebody else over here can be vocal about children. Now I've got to make sure to highlight somebody else. Or music with Irene. We're all going to have our, our interests and our folk, but what we have to do is learn how to temper those, how to compromise, right? So that your voice for your interest, your gifts, but in a way that 
sometimes compromises. Sometimes you take the back seat. You give and you take, like a marriage, like a relationship, like a family, for the sake of the whole. So what I'm getting at is I don't think Paul is saying uniformity is the goal for the church, where we all just give up our interests and our strengths and we all just agree we're all going to think the same. We have to agree on this in every single way. Instead, unity. Unity is a, is a much sought after but difficult to achieve thing where unique, different people can come together and say, I didn't necessarily want to eat at that restaurant tonight, but I can see why that was your suggestion. We went to the place I chose last time. There's nothing wrong with that place. Let's go there. Let's make that work. Let's do it as a, as a family. Or that's not the song that I would choose, but it works really well with the scripture passage. You know, I'm just not very good at singing that part, if I'm honest. But, I, but you are. Let's, let's do it. And maybe I don't sing, or maybe I sing a lower part. Or, you, you see what I'm getting at? Unity is how you get a bunch of people who are different to compromise and work together towards something, even if the individuals wouldn't all necessarily choose the same thing for the sake of a greater good. Uniformity is everybody has to think the same way or we have trouble. And that just doesn't work. As a parent, sometimes I wish it would, would work, but it doesn't at all. So unity is not the same as uniformity. The key here is, I think, for the church, is trusting in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that's been gifted to us, that is with us as individuals, but especially communally, which as we trust in that, allows us to become the body of Christ. So that's always in Paul's mind. When he's talking about unity, he wants the church to function as a whole, but he's always thinking of how it looks to the outside world. Do we look like a symphony or do we look like a mess? You know, And that's what he's concerned about. We're not going to be able to sustain a symphony if we, or, or will it be all that pleasing if everybody plays the same part. We all have to agree. Instead, we work towards consensus and harmony and peace. Okay? Trusting in the Holy Spirit. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Corinth is suffering from a lack of unity. I'm sorry. Corinth isn't just suffering from a lack of unity. It has disunity. Do you see the difference? It's not that they simply don't have unity. They are disunited. They are in conflict. They're in strife. They have literal divisions amongst themselves that he will then spend the rest of this letter kind of trying to get at. They can't get along... And this is hurting their witness to the outside world. They're living in a place where they're surrounded by uh, Gentiles especially who are curious and who he wants, when they look at the church, he wants them to see a beautiful example of how to live Christ, Christ-likeness in the world and together. And instead, he's, he basically says, what they're seeing is the same mess that they see in society all around them and it's not doing them any good. It's actually hurting Christ and the church, they can't get along. They're hurting their witness. And one of the key themes is we start right off. Um, and, and it may seem like it's not relatable, but it's really relatable, is our spiritual heritage. The, their spiritual heritage is a key uh, cause for dissent. So what I mean, he says, uh, some of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or Peter. Um, or then, then you get like the Sunday school, no, I belong to Christ, uh, which is like true, but also I can see the spirit of what he's saying here is like more judgy than arrest. Has Christ been divided? 
Was Paul, was I crucified for you, he says? Were you baptized into my name? No. They're, they're in these little camps. Well, I learned the gospel from Paul. And, and so I know the true gospel. Um, you all need to f- listen to me. I learned the gospel from Peter. And so I know the gospel. You need to listen to me. Or I learned from Apollos. And somebody else. Well, I'm a non-denominational person. I just go straight to Christ. Right? We have that today. And in reality, they all have benefited from good, you know, spiritual, um, apostolic teaching. But none of those apostles or leaders would say that their salvation or faith is based in them. Which is what Paul says. They're all, their job was to point them towards Christ. And for some reason, they're getting hung up on the middleman. I'm a Paul, or I'm an Apollos, or I'm a Peter, or whatever. Now, Paul then, Paul is a sarcastic writer, which that might strike you as funny, but it's true. You'll find sarcasm all throughout Paul's writings. And I think here we find an example of sarcasm. He says, I thank God that I didn't baptize many of you, uh, except Crispus and Gaius. Oh yeah, by the way, the household of Stephanus. Maybe somebody else, I don't know. But the point is, I didn't baptize a whole lot of you folks. And I'm really grateful for that. Now, does that mean, and that's what he wrote, um, does that mean that Paul doesn't think baptism is important? No, Paul gives us the most succinct and important teaching on baptism in Scripture in Romans 6. Uh, baptism is essential for Paul. Uh, he gives to the church the definition of what baptism is. Um, in short, it is that we die with Christ and we are raised in new life with him. To the point that uh, the early church, uh, much like what Eastern Orthodox folks do today, often when they were baptized, you went through a boot camp-like experience. Um, this is another tangent, but it's important. It really was. Not only were you spiritually tested, you would fast, you would, men- you would physically be exhausted, they would run you and do exercises, and they would have nightly demon exorcisms, to the point that after your baptismal training, your catechumenate was over, you were literally like paper thin, worn out, there was almost nothing left of you. Then the men and women would separate because then you would be stripped of all your clothing and naked you'd be plunged into water. And the idea was that when you were plunged in, you died. And then when you were raised out of the water, they would throw a white robe on you and rejoice. Sometimes you'd be given a new name. That would become your birthday. And you'd become a whole new person when you came up out of the water. The idea is that you died with Christ as he died, and then you were raised into new life with him. Baptism was essential for Paul. He thought this was so important, um, and after all, you know, that the two sacraments everyone can agree on are baptism and Eucharist or communion, because Jesus did them, right, and told us to do them. So it's a big deal. So is Paul, neg- like, negating all of that? No. But what he's trying to say here is, I'm really glad that that wasn't a big thing so that hopefully I'm not too much a part of this argument. When I baptize, I don't baptize you in the name of Paul. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he says. Um, It's Christ who matters. This is his point. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. not Cephas. It's Christ who matters. Into Christ you were baptized. He says, Christ is not divided. Christ calls us into unity. It's Christ alone that matters, he says. If you don't get this, you're missing the whole point. 
What that means for us today is something like, um, it's less important to be a Lutheran or a Baptist or a Nazarene than to be a Christian. Right? I love the teachings of John Wesley, but if John Wesley becomes like my mediator for God, then I've missed the boat somehow. You know? Jesus is the one who, into whom we are baptized. He is the one in whom our faith lies. So this is my final Sunday to preach for you, dear friends, and I will... I'll still be serving in the role for another week or so, but next Sunday, uh, Carlos Gordon will be sharing with you in a missionary service. Um, and I do think that it was no accident that the lectionary assigned this. I've enjoyed my time with you immensely here. Your feedback from my, my, my preaching, especially my series on the Johannine epistles or the, the letters from John, was, was so helpful and encouraging. Uh, Advent and Christmas were so special to share with you. I hadn't been able to preach consistently in the last couple of years as I was serving in Africa as a teacher. And so I, I, I loved, I've loved this opportunity. I love that experience. And now during Epiphany, I have to remind you, Epiphany is all about seeing Christ, going to, like, with the wise men to visit him and to, to, to find him, to seek after him. As we seek after him and find him, I have to remind you that it, it's Christ alone that our, our worship lies. It is He that, that we seek. It is He that we follow. It's into Christ, in faithfulness to the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are baptized. So you, you weren't baptized into Sid, or into Rusty, or into some new pastor when he or she comes. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, I'd love to help you get baptized. Scripture teaches that you ought to do it. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No, but it sure seems like you ought to if you read scripture. Your new pastor, whoever they might be when they arrive, they're not going to give you some sort of new salvation that's offered through them. I don't offer you that. No one else does either. I have tried to proclaim Christ to you and I pray that I've been successful in that. Uh, I think the love and the support that you've shown to me and to my family says that I have at least been somewhat successful in that. I hope that that is the case. I've tried to get to know you all better, to love and to serve you, to help point you towards Christ, whether you're new or old in the faith. I hope that I've been able to do that. Final point here from this passage and from me today is I think what he's saying He's gathering together people who are Christian. His audience already believes in Jesus. They've been converted, most likely out of various sort of pagan, uh, you know, worship of other deities, that kind of thing. But he says, you're not one. And you're not one because you forget who it is that, that drew you in in the first place. You're forgetting about Jesus. Or maybe you're, you're, you're using Jesus in this way, like, you know, well, I was baptized into Jesus, but not... You're not being converted continually into him. I, I think that that theme is so important that we must continually, again and again, be converted to Christ. That all of us, whether we're new to the faith or old in the faith, whether we're veterans or rookies or whatever, whether we eat meat or milk, have to be converted to Christ. And specifically, to his cross and his resurrection. The hard bits about the Jesus story that we have to, to draw into. You're never too old or too young. This is the core of our faith. Now, what I don't mean 
Lauren jokes about this, uh, that you need to, every time a a pastor calls for salvation, you know, you need to respond and, you know, you've been saved 18 times. Well, that's not, I mean, what God does, God does really well. So if you've, if you've, if you've responded to the call to salvation, then you are quote unquote saved. But that's just not the end of the story. You see, there's so much more to do after that. There's so much more to grow and to learn. That's the process of discipleship, of growing in holiness, of, of growing in, in the love of God and neighbor. Fellowship with uh, the, the church is the blessing and the curse that God gives to us to be a part of. And yet, to, it's hard sometimes because we have to seek unity with people that are different from us. These are all aspects of growing in faith. So I don't mean that if every week I or your new pastor or whoever you know, does a call for salvation, that every week you need to be resaved. That doesn't work that way. What I mean instead is that we need to constantly be looking at ourselves, retros- you know, asking ourselves introspectively, I should say, are we seeking Him and His ways? Uh, or has something got in the way? Because so easily things can drift in the way. And, and we think we're, we're seeking Christ, but, but we've begun to seek something else. Or, or Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Sid or Rusty or, or you know, some other teacher has become somewhat more important. And we have to kind of shift and realign ourselves with the cross. Are we being faithful to Jesus? That's what I mean when I say that we have to continually be converted to Christ. Whether we're 4 or 40 or 8 or 80, we should constantly be asking ourselves, are, are we faithful? Are we faithful still? Have we got so certain in our faith? Has Jesus become so domesticated and so simple that, that he's, we have it all figured out? Or are we continually confronted with, with the wildness of the gospel, with the radicalness of it, that, that there's always more for me to, to change and to grow, and I don't have to do these things, but I'm implored to do this, to, to grow and to mature and to seek after Him, that there would be less of me and that there would be more of Him. We have to continually examine ourselves. I think this is what Paul is saying to the people. Before I get into all the nonsense of who's sleeping with whose mom and who's stealing from the yeah, that's how it, who's stealing from the, these people and why are you oppressing the poor and you're eating all the food in the in the, the love feast and the Eucharist and nobody can get anything. This crazy person is speaking in tongues and making it seem like that's the only way to have the gospel. Still things we hear today, right? Before I get into all of that, he says, at root, none of this is going to matter if we don't return to Christ. If we don't remember that Paul and Apollos and Peter and Timothy and anybody else, none of them are all that important. That it's Jesus that matters. That hopefully you were baptized and that if you were baptized, you were baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not into Peter, Paul, Mary, anybody else. That the church that you're a part of is important, but it's all part of becoming a disciple of Jesus as a person and together with others. That you have strengths, you have gifts, you have abilities. God has made you to really like this thing and to really not like this thing. But you have to find a way to work together to be a cohesive unit, to be a symphony, to be a team, to be whatever you want to think, whatever image you want to use, so that you can be a body. He goes on to use that imagery a lot. So that you're not left with a great looking leg and nothing else. Or a torso that's awfully appealing that just sits there because it can't move around. Or a wonderful brain that's helpless because there's no skull to hold it into place. 
What if the church, what if the community, what if the world saw that in us? Well, that's what's happening. So he says, before I get into all that nonsense, and I think this is why it's appropriate now as a wrap up, he says, it's not about anything else but Jesus. The, the pastor's job is to help teach you and guide you and love you and shepherd you so that you will know and love and serve God and others. So that Jesus will be central. Your job as a church is to be one. So that you can do the difficult work of living faithful. Sometimes it's easy to live faithfully. But if you've lived very long, you know it's not always. And without a community of faith to booster you, to hold you, to encourage you, to rebuke you at times, it's very hard. It's easy to drift away. And without a community of faith, the world outside doesn't have anything to look at. It doesn't have anything to be drawn to or to be appealed, you know, to, to appeal to. So if we're going to be one, it doesn't mean you have to check your mind at the door. It doesn't mean you can't question things. It doesn't mean you can't even disagree. But it means you have to find a way to overcome that so that instead of being divided, you work together. You use your strengths, you use your gifts, you work together towards the future and the community that God is calling you to be. I hope I've helped you in that. A couple, uh, um, three takeaways, just really quick. In case I got you thinking about lunch and then that's all you could think about early on. Unity is not uniformity. You can disagree with me on this. I just think that you would be wrong, but you can. <laughs> unity and uniformity, not uniformity, is a central aspect of the church. I get very nervous when leaders say you have to all think this way. That's, you know, I mean, if we're talking about like something as central as believing that Jesus is central, yes. But you all have to like this kind of music or wear this kind of pants or dress this way or act this way or drive this kind of car. Well, no, I just don't think that's the case. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, but you've got to find a way to be one, which is really complicated and messy. The Holy Spirit's the only way that that's going to happen. Number two, we belong to Christ, not anyone else, like we sung earlier. Paul or Paulus or uh, J.B. Chapman or Phineas Brzee or, or, or Pastor Sid or Pastor Rusty doesn't mean much of anything in light of Christ. If any of us mean very much, it's probably because we've put ourselves way too much out there um, and, and that's not healthy. Jesus is our Lord. Not any pastor, bishop, superintendent, anyone else. That doesn't mean leaders aren't important. But our ultimate salvation, we belong to Christ. And then finally, uh, we must all continually be converted to the cross of Christ. Again, what that means for me is that every day we should be asking ourselves, are, are we being faithful? And in particular, because I do think I know that most of us here are, are walking the journey of faith better than, maybe better than others, or maybe we're at a, a bad place, but most here have some kind of relationship with Jesus. The temptation is to think, I've got them all figured out. I know what it means to follow Jesus, and as long as I do this, I'm good. Instead of constantly saying, what more are you calling me to, God? Uh, how can I walk towards your cross today? How, how would I die to myself today? How can I live for you today? And sometimes that's complicated and messy, difficult. Sometimes we need courage and strength from others to do that. Sometimes it means we don't know what's happening next. Or it means we're walking into the line of fire. Or to the cross. Because Jesus asks us to go there with him. Okay? 
We, every day we should be asking ourselves, are we being faithful to Jesus? Not to our preconceived ideas of Jesus or, or you know, some picture of Jesus, but to Jesus. And the only way we'll do that, right, is if we read scripture, if we pray, if we do so together so that we can learn and grow together and we trust in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, you are a good, good father. Thank you for sending the Son to live with us, to live for us, to die at our hands, to, to break the chains of sin, to break the mold of rebellion and sin and evil and even death in the world so that there could be a different way. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in our midst, to dwell on us and amidst us, that we would be able to respond in grace to you, to live faithfully to you, and to do so with others. I don't say it as a joke. The church is both a blessing and a curse. It's such a wonderful thing to be a part of the body. And sometimes it's just really hard and frustrating. And wherever we're at in that, in that spectrum, I pray that your spirit will give us strength and courage to seek unity, to seek peace, to see how our gifts and our graces can be a gift and to also temper our rougher edges with, with the gifts and graces of others, that we would be made up into one. And what Paul teaches us later is that that one is none other than your body on the earth. That people would look to the church and see something I hope so much better and different than what they see right now from so many. I pray that one day again that people would look to the church and they would see, they would see you. Help us in, in, in our own way, in our small congregation, here in this little tiny corner of the world. Help us to do that. Help us to be faithful to you together so that you would make us a faithful witness in Longmont. That that would grow and spread. That we would then have the courage to take that gospel out into our lives and the world around us. That you would just, just set the world ablaze with your Holy Spirit but it, it would happen because we're being faithful to you and we're, we're pursuing unity and love and peace together. May, may that be so, Lord. We, we love you and we praise you today. And I just personally am so grateful for this congregation and for this time that we've shared together. We love you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Won't you stand and receive the benediction today as we prepare to go out into a beautiful world around us. Know that you were loved. Go forth into the world to follow Christ alone. Go in peace. You're dismissed.